This is a Whole Observatory podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Stuff. I am Cody Halfmoon and today I am here with the Grand Canyon astronomer in residence, Lauren Camp. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Hi, Cody. Very glad to be here. And you um, are the fourth astronomer in residence at the Grand Canyon in the residency program. Is that correct? That is right. I'm the first poet in this position. And the first poet. And I am excited. Uh, our listeners well know by now I love poetry. I was English major. I love talking about it. It is finally my turn to geek out because typically we are talking about very hard science and I am lost and confused and I get quiet very quickly. So <laughs> now's, now's my time to be the excited one on the podcast. So according to the Grand Canyon, uh, the Astronomer in Residence program is designed to support scholars and practitioners from a wide range of disciplines that focus on the night sky in their work, especially in reference to the threats of light pollution, society's complex relationship with natural darkness or our cosmic significance. And I think that that is maybe a good segue for you to talk about what this residence has meant for you and how as a poet you've um, you've brought those goals to the Grand Canyon in this um, astronomer in residence facility. Yeah, I want to say that it's a program of Grand Canyon Conservancy, which is the philanthropic partner for Grand Canyon National Park. And their mission is to inspire and educate and protect all of which seem important to various natural resources at the park. But in this case, for this residency, uh, night skies and darkness. And it's been really fun to be here for a month, to be, to be looking at, uh, at the skies, at the absence of light, to be just fully embracing and informing myself in so many ways on light and on darkness and how not just the education of that, but how it feels in my body and um, and in my hand as I'm writing, really. And I wanted to give some context um, to, to you. So Lauren Camp, right? And some of your, I mean, it's amazing when I started looking into your background, you have, um, you're the author of five poetry collections. Uh, your most recent, um, I guess, if I can call it book, would be Took House. And you've received incredible awards. So even this most recent publication received the American Fiction Award in Poetry, and you were named a distinguished favorite for the Independent Press Award. So first, congratulations on your success. I mean, that was just your most recent one. Some of your others have won. You won the Dorset Prize. You were a finalist in the Arab American Book Award. I mean, the list goes on. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I was, that's fantastic, especially when you think of so many people who are discouraged from, um, from writing and from poetry because of people pessimistic about 
futures in those. I'm speaking from a personal place here, but you know, the, the fun question when you graduate with your English degree is, you know, like, oh, are you used to saying, uh, you know, are you a good waitress or what are you going to do with that? So um, it's so great to see just and be able to talk to someone who is, is, so successful in this career. So first, if you could maybe talk on that and about some of these awards and, and how you got into being an author here. Yeah, I, I came into poetry from, from a career in visual art. And uh, in both cases, I am self-taught, which doesn't mean that I am untaught by any means. It means that I've read an extraordinary amount Uh, I used to do public radio and I've voiced a lot of poems. I've read lots of craft information. I've just, I've just sort of been a sponge and absorbed everything I can over a period of, oh, I don't know, 20, I guess about 20 years. Um, The poetry grew out of visual art and the radio programming, which was a music program primarily that I kept shoving poetry into. And so for me, the way that I create poetry is not not from a scholarly or metrical way, but from rhythm and color and pattern and texture. That's fantastic. So you have a visual artist beforehand. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. For a long time, I said uh, I could do both, or I thought I could do both. I could do one in the morning and one in the afternoon, or that didn't work out. So then I thought maybe I could do one for one week and one for the next week. And none of that was working out because they're, though they're both very creative arts, they're entirely different. And you think and act very differently with both of them. And finally, I had to just sort of decide that I was going to do the thing that most compelled me. And that turned out to be poetry. So so I segued over to that or really switched over to that. But that's not to say that I hadn't spent a a lot of years doing visual art. I had, I had had worked in, my medium was fiber, fabric and thread. And I had worked in that medium for, I don't know, 12 or 14 years, I guess. When it's, um, you know, uh, kind of fun play on words now uh, in your in your role with the Grand Canyon Conservancy in poetry about natural darkness. So um, unvisual art, right? You're experiencing the exactly. utter That's darkness crazy. of the Grand Canyon. That's amazing. Then a, well, full, a whole full 180. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating. I love that. And I'll be I'll be sort of holding that in a lot of ways because I keep thinking of how in a way darkness is a new medium for me. It's not it's not a place that I I'm saying this very backwards. It's a place that I've lived darkness in various ways. Mm-hmm. Like I, I live in Santa Fe uh county and we have some darkness. It's not Grand Canyon darkness, but um, but I'm used to dark skies and I'm used to being comfortable in in a world of, of stars and night. Uh, and yet it's very different at the Grand Canyon. And also, I, I think going back for a second to um, 
to, to what poetry is often about. It's often about, uh, as I tell my students, about, about love and loss and grief, not always, but often, which is its own kind of darkness sometimes. Right. Yeah. And I, I think poetry attempts to um, put words to very complex feelings and emotions. Um that's right. And it, it does it in a very visual way. So I would argue you're still a visual artist. You just are um, uh, having other people do the the visual part of it as they're reading your poems. Yeah, I'm including, you're right. I'm including the listener or the audience in, in drawing the pictures or the images. But it absolutely uh, has, it, the visual art has uh, completely impacted how I write. Uh, I think though it's not obvious, even to me, it's something that's sort of embedded in me. I think about building a poem in the same way that I built an artwork or a radio show. Right. And I love, so uh, on your website, I found this quote from Raider Lane, um, you know, who we've had on multiple episodes here with Star Stuff, but uh, he, he wrote, Lauren Camp was selected as Grand Canyon's next astronomer in residence to explore the written word through the subtle emotions, aesthetic qualities, and complex thoughts we all feel under the vastness of the night skies, um, which I think just sort of sums that up beautifully. Obviously, Raider's a poet himself, um, but I I also want to note that, uh, so your, your time at the Grand Canyon, we're recording this here toward the end of August, um, smack dab in the middle of one of northern arizona's longest monsoon seasons that we have had in a while and um so that that darkness has become very real right because i mean i'm sure down in in the grand canyon when those cloud covered i mean there's it's dark out there it is it's it's been a very interesting month because the first um most of it has been cloudy and dark uh, without without a lot else to see in the sky, but clouds and, and lightning uh, far off for the most part or monsoonal activity somewhere at a distance. And so it's been really interesting how that impacts what I'm writing. And the way I write is to experience things and to, uh, and, and to write a lot or to begin a lot on whatever it is I'm, in the midst of. And so where typically at home, I write about the sun um, and light. Here, it's been a lot about the clouds, in part because of my focus on astronomy and on the, the dark skies, and in part just because that's what's been in existence. That's what's been there for me to see for several weeks. I remember when I first moved to Flagstaff, I um, was it was so hard for me to acclimate to the darkness that is northern Arizona um, to the point where I was running into things outside in my own driveway. I couldn't see them. My eyes, it took forever for my eyes to acclimate. Um, did you experience any of that? I know that you had uh, you have some experience with dark skies, but uh, just how dark it is in the Grand Canyon. And then with that cloud cover at night, um, was it, uh, 
disturbing, I guess. Was there a moment of acclimation or emotions, I guess, with that? Yeah, there was definitely um, a moment of or a period of acclimation, but it wasn't disturbing in a way that I that surprises me. I had a headlamp and I was expecting the the notion that I had to let my eyes really get adapted to the darkness in order to be able to see better. And I spent a lot of time just outside at night here, walking around uh, on paths, uh, on the rim trail, on side paths, just going places at night. I kind of considered it part of my job, honestly. And what I found was that I felt very safe, very relaxed. Um, like it, it was it was a very surprising feeling how completely enamored I got of the dark. That is fascinating because, you know, um, it's sort of like you you put yourself out there and embraced the, the darkness, I guess. And uh, I know that there's so much natural fear associated with the dark or being afraid of the dark. Um, but also when you're, you know, we're talking about like with grief and the darkness, like emotional darkness, and there's fear and embracing that as well. Um, did you find a lot of, um, so you didn't, you didn't experience any, any fear. It was immediate comfort. I didn't experience any fear. I do have a poem that I wrote about this. Would you like me to read it? I would love that. Yes. Thank you so much. So, yeah, I I got very interested in, well, the way I've taken the residency time as a whole is just, just exploring every different way I can comment darkness. I've been phenomenally productive here, starting lots of poems, um, just, and and again, when I, when I work, I write a lot and a lot of it is is garbage, honestly, or very mediocre. And I just mine what I can from the poems. But, and usually it takes a long time for me to finish a poem. But here we are, I'm still in the middle of the residency and I'm gonna read you a poem that I right now believe is done and, and we'll see in a few months. But it is specifically about what I understood of how many people are afraid of darkness. So I looked up fear, fear of, and this was what I found. And that is what the poem is called, fear of. Google says God, then says holes, long words, heights, being alone. Fear is fear of dark figures, dark spaces, dark forests, dark hallways, dark deep water, nightmares, fear of nighttime, night sky, night, fear of not night. And dark is weak against, dark is not evil, dark iron sword, dark inner thighs, dark is not black, dark is useless, fear of darkness, dark isn't a word, dark isn't the same, does not exist. Tonight I sat alone on a wooden bench, thinking small facts. I had been there since the sun first stressed to pink strips across the sky. I believe we suffer between the void and compulsion. I believe we tribal extraordinary lives. 
the sun turned to vibrations and faster ancestors. The mind was clearing. This summer, I, alongside I, saw desire for its lessening face. I could give over to it, let that vision be large as creation. What I could save was having a darkness. I absolutely love that. That Thank is you. amazing. I mean, even just thinking about um, people Googling these phrases, what a fantastic way to open that poem, because it's also like these people are reaching out to see if they're the only ones and that they're alone in these feelings. Right. And how, how can they get help with them? Right. Um, dark is useless. I mean, it's just, which, which is obviously not at all true. Dark is critical for right. us humans, for our earth's creatures, for all sorts of things. And also I feel like dark can be very healing. Uh, you know, I know humans have long thought, you know, the sun is healing and the dark is cold, but um, if only things were black and white like that, but they really aren't. <laughs> uh, so. Exactly. And, and I think even, even darkness is not, it's not a, a flat dark. It's, it's varied in the same way light is not just a, like, again, back to the visual is not just one uniform quality. And we kind of touched on this briefly right before the recording, but, uh, you know, they have these sensory deprivation tanks and people report having hallucinations. <laughs> they, they'll start crying because um, this like, this forever gray scale of dark is such it's so connected with our emotions as well and like you said and and naturally right if we don't get uh darkness in our lives every day our bodies physically react negatively to that right i mean it, it's restorative it's it's a necessary rest uh it's a necessary time of slowing down and instead what we've done as a society is light it up, um, is mm -hmm. you know, bring light to, to the darkness so that we can, I don't know, be safer, get more done. Um, right. you know, and, and that's really interesting to me. And I've tried to take this month and really pay attention to what the dark does, both like out in the in the cosmos, but also in my, in my world, in my, in my like hour by hour, what am I doing with, with this time that is now dark, that is now light. And I know that's such a personal thing too, because everyone even reacts differently to the dark. So I am what you'd call a night owl at, at night. That's when I feel more alive and I want to be out and I want to be in the dark and under the stars. And I get a lot of my productivity done at night, which I think is it's super normal, but, um, you know, I have that sort of connective to like the nocturnal, uh, feeling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think a lot of people mostly associate that with the, the daytime, you know, the eight hour work week. But you're saying also that you want to be out under the stars or you want to be out in the darkness when it's dark. Yes. That's a lot of difference 
different from sitting in front of a screen of any sort. Right. Yeah. I, um, and you know, maybe, maybe that's from, uh, uh, growing up in the city too, where the city comes alive at night and you want to be outside and you want to be sitting on a patio and it's dark out. And that's when you want to be out and doing fun things and being social. Um, you know, so maybe that was a little bit of just how I evolved in my life, but, uh, even, even here in, in Flagstaff, it's just a different act, social activity, um, you know, doing constellation stories with the laser pointer and walking around at the observatory where I work, everyone comes alive at night at the observatory. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see. So, um, yeah, I know. I, but, you know, I guess that just depends on everyone's individual experience. Well, I think about my experience of darkness. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City and I, I can't name a time that I really paid attention to the sky. I don't, I mean, was it there? I, I, obviously it was there, but I remember driving with my, with my family to my grandparents home, which was about uh, maybe an hour away. And I remember on the way home, I would point to the moon and, and move like, like move around the back seat, amazed that the moon was following us and that it was, it, you know, and I remember saying that to my father, it's following us. And he would laugh at me. But that was my, that's my full experience as a child of remembering a night sky, which makes me somewhat sad. Yeah, it is. I know when I was, you know, I've talked to Raider about not seeing the sky, the night sky, uh, the stars and everything until I was adult. And yeah, it just made me sad for my child self that couldn't experience the wonder of the Milky Way um, as like a natural main character of my life. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't meet her until I was much older and I kind of felt sad that I missed out on that wonder when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I get that completely. Also, I think for me, darkness was uh, has been very complicated. I've had all kinds of strange sleep, uh, sort of connections to sleep. As a child, I had uh, nightmares or night terrors, and oh, then I've had those. Those are horrifying. They're horrifying, and it could make you not want to sleep. And yet, I also have a very active dream life and I, I love dreaming. And, and so for me, it's a very, very mixed thing. So entering this residency with the idea of focusing on darkness, dark skies, but also just night and darkness was really interesting and compelling to me. So, Raider was telling me that, and I knew also mentioned um, a part of your role. So, so your projects during your residency are uh, obviously writing poetry about natural darkness in the night skies, um, creating the dispatches, the um, poems for the Grand Canyon to share mm -hmm. online. Uh, asking visitors questions uh, for uh, to curate a response into an epic poem, which is cool. We should talk about that one uh, and public presentations. But he also said that unofficially it was to explore 
the, the canyon um, to facilitate those those poems and that he said that you've been doing walks at night and you've gone down to phantom ranch which is the bottom of the canyon correct and you do these excursions out in the dark to (laughs) become one with the darkness down there so i like to picture you going you know completely rogue and (laughs) um disappearing into the mist into the dark down there um but can you tell us a little bit about those excursions that you've done? Yeah, I, uh, well, when I first got here, it was my first time at the South Rim and I had been at the North Rim of the Grand Canyon many, many years ago. Mm. So I, I honestly was uh, overwhelming. It was daunting to figure out how, not just how to, how to acknowledge it, how to um, how to see it? That's a funny word to use in in this role, but also how to write about it. I mean, it wasn't just like being a visitor. It was it was much more that wait, I have a I have a role I'm supposed to be doing. I have something that's supposed to come out of this, not just that I stand at the rim or I look at whatever view I have and and admire it or or be awestruck, but how do I begin to to figure out how to write about it? And so very quickly, like within the first couple of days, I just decided I would focus my entire energy around the start and end of the day or uh, night and and the end of night, I could say. And that proved to be incredibly helpful. Uh, When I, the first few weeks when I was here, it was very hot and uh, it wasn't super appealing to be outside in the middle of the day anyway. So it was fine to go out in the evening and catch sunset and the time afterwards and then early morning. And you're right, I did a hike down to Phantom Ranch um, and stayed over two nights. It, as as I said earlier, it was cloudy. It was cloudy pretty much for the first few weeks, so I didn't see the Milky Way over over Phantom Ranch. But I woke up and went down into the canyon and back out of the canyon when it was still dark, and I got to see the sun begin to land on surfaces and open up the canyon and ex- expose or unearth the canyon maybe. And I got to feel like I was walking deeper in and climbing out of history in ways that were incredibly meaningful and um, momentous to me. It's amazing you can have that experience during the hike out of the Grand Canyon because that is a tumultuous hike. Um, I have, I've been in the Grand Canyon, I guess a a few times and sort of played with like walking down and seeing how far I can go and then going back up. Um, I, I, I would think it would be almost difficult to stay in a poetic frame of mind, I guess, unless this is your profession, of course, (laughs) just because it's like, oh my God, how much further up here? And um, it was definitely a strenuous 
Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I don't want you to think I was writing poems on the trail. <laughs> My poetry would be full of expletives. <laughs> if I were writing something going, uh, escaping the canyon. <laughs> I, I was pretty focused on just getting up and down, but, and then recuperating because it, it is really a, for, or at least I found it a strenuous hike, but, but just that experience. I mean, I thought I was going down to be at the bottom. And what I found that was more moving to me was, was the going and the returning. Oh, really? Yeah. Not that I loved it, but that I did it. And, right. um, and, and really I'm not, I'm not typically a very early morning person. I am much more a night owl, as you said of yourself. Um, and so early morning is not a time that I typically see. And I was on the trail both times at 4 a.m. That's that's an interesting time to be out and about. I've only seen 4 a.m. on the later end of the evening. <laughs> I've never woken up to experience the day that early, or at least not intentionally. Um, so when you sleeping three hours and then waking up to experience that. Sunday. Well, that was to, to get on the trail to go to the to Phantom Ranch because it was going to be so hot on the hike. And I'm, I am really quite glad I did that. Um, the And returning back up, um, coming up Bright Angel Trail, I wanted an early start. So part of it was just a, a sort of pride in myself for actually managing it, honestly. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, I um I've really only gone up there a few times, but once was with the train and you get you know, you have 4 hours I think to experience one of the major wonders of the world. It's like um it, and it's almost hard to experience the Grand Canyon other than just stare at it in awe because especially if you only have a few hours uh, you know, I feel like you could walk half an hour in either direction at the rim and your your perception of your view doesn't change because it's so big uh, that a lot of the experience is doing that test, like going down and seeing, pushing yourself and, and getting back up. Um, but I've never been there in the evening. I've never experienced it at night um, without a, a headlamp. What um, I guess with the cloud cover how what was your visibility like down there uh down at the bottom yeah it was it was limited um because it was cloudy and and truthfully i the first day when i when i went down into the canyon i couldn't stay up i couldn't stay awake long <laughs> enough to really want to be outside when it was yeah very dark. I wanted to go to bed at 6 p.m., which was another first for me. I didn't, but I really wanted to. <laughs> but I think going back to something you just said, I, um, I've been noticing these, these signs at the visitor center that say, if you only have one to two hours, here's what we recommend you do. If you only have half a day, try this. If you have a couple of days, try this. And so there are a series of signs. 
And I'm thinking about the people who do only have a couple of hours and I see them out. I mean, from, from where I am staying, I look right out on the rim, on the rim trail and I can step outside and in you know, 20 seconds, I can be on that trail. And so I've walked a lot on the rim, along the rim, listening to people, um, just sort of observing as I do as a poet anyway, just observing people and what they're doing here as tourists and how much they're seeing and how much they're trying to take in, which it, it, it just can't be that much if you only have a couple of hours. So one of the great gifts of this time is that I can experience Grand Canyon at many different times of day and night and days throughout an entire month, which, which is in itself an incredible gift just to sort of mm -hmm. embody or, or live amidst everything that is happening here. One of, one of the biggest problems I have when I'm experiencing something like the Grand Canyon where I just know is like, this is an incredible moment. I have to be in the moment is being able to be in the moment when something like that is happening uh, or that you're getting to experience it, uh, whether it's limited or, or whether you know you have some time to soak it in. So, you know, for this, this residency program, you know, you had a, a month there at the Grand Canyon. Um, what do you do to make sure, like get yourself to fully experience the moment? Um, like, I'm sure there are, as a poet, you, you know, poetry comes natural to you and, you know, you're thinking through all of the things you're experiencing. Does that help you live more in the moment when you're out there? I think in general, I do live in the present moment, but also I don't, you know, I don't want to delude anybody. I don't write all the time. I don't look or, you know, have, have all my nerve endings open to possibility all the time. It's, you know, so there are times that I am inside writing emails to people because that has to get done, or I'm looking at what I wrote for what I thought was a, a good start to a poem and realizing, no, it's not, or I'm just reading an essay or, so it's not, it's not like constantly I am paying attention, but I try when I'm out there walking along the rim to notice something. And it, and I tell my students, I teach creative writing classes and I tell my students repeatedly, notice whatever you notice. Mm -hmm. So. I might notice the way a tree is moving in the wind. I might be looking completely opposite from where the canyon is just because there's something interesting over here. Or, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, I think it's partly that you don't have to focus on something specific. You focus where your attention goes. And I, that's one of the things I really like about poetry. Yeah, I find that, um, when I'm out in nature, if I'm trying to be in the moment, I typically more connect with thinking about the people who were there in the past 
And, uh, you know, speaking of this like natural darkness, that was one of the things I thought when I first moved here, you know, I thought about the, um, the, the native people in the area living, um, very much just with nature and not sort of fighting against it. Um, like we tend to do with our, you know, lights and street lights and all of that. Uh, and I just wonder at that because it seems just so difficult and beautiful and terrifying and wondrous at the same time. And how these women, uh, or I, I guess anybody, um, coped with that, uh, extreme nature. But also it was necessary, right? It was necessary. There wasn't another way, right? Right. There wasn't another way. So in a way it's, it's brilliant how they found how early peoples found systems and approaches that would let them function and thrive. Mm -hmm. And I, I know uh, the dark and the, the rhythms of light through the day definitely um, controlled a lot of that. <laughs> so interesting right. you yes. you couldn't you could only do you know you could be most functional when there was light and mm -hmm. so it, it there was a sort of mandatory slowing down or internalizing or resting that would happen i like that too tell me about this the epic poem and okay. the concept for that. Uh, okay. I um, I can't tell you how it's going to work out yet right. uh, because we are gathering responses. But my goal is to, uh, to build a collective response to Grand Canyon National Park's night skies and pristine darkness. And so I... I, I'm writing a lot of my own poems, but I don't want it to be just entirely, here's how I see it. So what I decided I wanted to do was to, to pose some questions or, or sort of statements to think about and ask people to respond to them. So there are uh, boxes set up with uh, space for people to write and, and drop their response into them. And I've already collected probably 50 or 60 responses. And somehow I'm going to begin to, to collect them and curate them into, into what I hope will be an interesting epic poem that is not everybody's reaction, but a number of people's reactions to the canyon or to night and uh, darkness and their experience of it. It's going to be fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it, uh, it does remind me too of some other efforts the Grand Canyon's done with uh, Raider Lane's um, art uh, video installations. Right. Raider's done some beautiful things around that. And, you know, you talked uh, a few minutes ago about thinking back on ancestors and he he did an installation that's that's very moving where people talk i think to people while sitting under the stars it's lovely yeah it's an emotional video <laughs> the stars i mean the night sky is very emotional have you been able recently to see more stars at night yes the last two yeah. days have been glorious and i oh, the, good. Yeah, finally the first um, <laughs> the first of those nights i was out 
walking back in the dark and all of a sudden I, I came up upon a, a small group of people who were looking up at the sky and 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 clearly they had never seen anything like that and and then I walked slowly back to where I'm staying and I felt honestly giddy just just delighted and happy about the darkness and the and the stars and just the expansiveness of it all and you're doing presentations uh public presentations for visitors at the grand canyon with raider lane uh, in fact you have one tonight correct that is correct we're doing three presentations there um i'm the the first half of the program, I will be reading poems I have curated about night and sky and darkness from going all the way back to like 700, um, a Chinese poet. So various up through contemporary times. So I'll be doing that for the first half, uh, get while people are getting their eyes used to the dark. And I'll also read a couple of my own poems. And then Raider is going to take over and do a laser pointed constellation talk. I think it's going to be a remarkable program. And we're doing it three times. So you um, are, it's toward towards the end of your astronomy and residence at the Grand Canyon. Uh, you know, this recording is toward the end of August. So, uh, you know, I know there's, there's still plenty of days left in the month, but I am curious, what uh, was most surprising to you? And what do you think you got out of the experience the most? What was so surprising to me was that feeling I could have outside in the darkness of safety and comfort. I mean, that was really shocking to me. I couldn't entirely see. Um, I could just see a little ways in front of me. I could only think as far as I could see. And there was just something very appealing about that emotional response to the dark. Now, if I had been in, um, an urban setting in the dark, I wouldn't have that same response. And I think it's probably important to acknowledge that it's site specific in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But that was that was incredibly surprising and comforting to know that. Mm -hmm. And um, in the in the whole time that I've been here, I've been reading a lot about. Um, about astronomy in various ways, but also about light and light pollution and the efforts to hold on to dark skies, uh, to, to somehow cope with the ways light is intruding on uh, our population's ability to see those dark skies. And that's also been something that I will carry back with me. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um the Flagstaff Dark Sky Coalition, uh, something that the observatory is very involved in. And uh, in fact, our, our first interview with Raider Lane on this podcast was about the dark skies and the certifications in, in Flagstaff, which was the first international dark sky city 
uh, and the Grand Canyon, which is the first international dark sky park. <laughs> so talking about those efforts, it was really fascinating. Uh, we talked kind of about not only light pollution, but also um, pollution in our on our own, I guess, out, outside of Earth, uh, the satellites and how they interfere with with research and also our view of the night sky is changing because of them. So it's very interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot to think about and work towards in it. And, and I'm realizing in this month that if everybody just did a little something like, yes, yes, it would, it would change a lot. And if yeah. change the light bulb on your porch and you've done, you're a part of us now, exactly. you're part of the effort. <laughs> But put a shield on that porch light or, you know, yeah. the, there's, there's so many little things that could be done to help maintain a, a darkness out there that we need, that, that is important for us to recognize um, that it's not just us here. Right. Um, yeah, the, uh, he talked about, you know, in the Grand Canyon, all of the in nocturnal animals and that kind of thing who could be very poorly affected by by light. In fact, we also talked about bugs and, and moths and that kind of thing that are the light and even porch lights being on all night is destroying these populations, which is shocking because you don't think about it when you put that light bulb in your front porch when the light goes out, you just put another one in. Yeah. Let's put another one in. Yeah. It it's been fun to be outside as it's at dusk, I guess, um, or gloaming as the bats are out and swooping around. I I mentioned them when I was down at Phantom Ranch. I, the bats. I, yeah, I mean, I've seen them up at the room, but also down at Phantom Ranch. And I pointed them out to a man who was who had been at the program, I the interview program I had done down there. And I said, there are bats like they were coming right between us. And. He said, oh, I thought they were birds. And it's just, it's, it's just been very fun to That's awesome. be here amidst the, the creatures that are doing what they do. Mm -hmm. and, and ideally we're not getting in the way of them doing that. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things too, where it's hard to think, but it's like, you know, I would encourage everyone listening, like go experience the Grand Canyon, experience the night sky. Um, there are things from my from my childhood that, uh, you know, when I go visit those childhood places like lightning bugs don't exist, uh, you know, near near Houston anymore um, and different things like that. Not due to light pollution, of course, due to like pesticides and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, you think you know, enjoy, enjoy it while it's here. It is certainly a privilege to be able to enjoy uh, the things in nature that we enjoy now. And it is part of our responsibilities as uh, roommates of theirs to preserve that in any way we can. Absolutely, yeah, enjoy it, but also realize what you can do so we don't lose it. Uh, one of your other roles was to create what Raider Lane called dispatches from your experience for um, Grand, uh, the Grand Canyon to share online. 
And I did want to mention that because that is a great way for our listeners to jump on uh, Instagram, go follow, go follow uh, the Grand Canyon, and you can see some of, um, of Lauren Camp's poetry there. Um, there's one actually, uh, I think you can easily recognize them by the, the photos of the dark sky. I think most of those will have your poetry on them. Right. Right. Uh, and it's great. And it's, it's had a great response to. It's been really fun to have, to be able to write about here, share and have the Grand Canyon share it from here. Um, it, it's just been very exhilarating for me to be able to put those two things together. So often I'm writing about a place and not connecting with the people who love or know the place. Yeah. And have you been to the observatory? I know you've probably just been at the Grand Canyon the whole time. But. I have only been at the Grand Canyon. I thought I was going to get to the observatory. And I don't know, maybe I will in the last uh, week and a half of the residency. But I want so much to come and yes. spend time there. There's a there's a general admission ticket with your name on it. Um, if if you can make it up here, uh, you know, come in with for free general admission and would love for you to be able to experience the observatory as well while you're here in Arizona. Thank you. And we are um, almost actually to the end of our, oh. our time here. It's really gone by quickly, but before then, I am curious if uh, there is anything else you wanted to talk about, about your residency, um, about your poetry. And, you know, we will be putting, uh, we have a Discord channel for all of our listeners and uh, we will be putting your website in that Discord channel. And to our listeners, you can go there and purchase Lauren's books. Uh, you can in fact get them, I think, with an autograph or you can buy them directly from the publisher, which is what we love. We love those links directly from the source. So, um, but was there anything else um, that you wanted to share with our listeners? Not that I can think of, but I'd be glad to read one more poem. Yes, if you could. Okay. Inner planets. Ooh. After all day in the sun blitz, the hectic heat calling for argument and splurging on low spots, I wanted most to be busy with less. After the terraces of light, the spreading iron and groping of it, I walked alone, never to an end, and quietly, yes, sat there and sang the intimate shapes of Earth's history, the fringe above and the physical flourish of stars, never to anyone, just my miniature self. It was like being in love with the world as a stranger, alive in the slag dark that made this out of nothing. I was not prepared for the far off storm with its thrilling embellishments, its thin revolutionary drawings of light, or how when those ended, the sky was taken to a circumference of thrumming in a hundred subtracted overtones. I sat still in that struck concentration, cleaning up the ways I believe. How so often we are given to evidence the dark robs us of hope, and we can't see that it isn't that we need to see. Noble, it climbs through persistence and lets us turn our cold faces up to it, 
unfit but astonished. The sky does what it must, and it is never the same thing. There is no air in space, no sound the higher you go. Oh, I love that one. Could we share that on our social media? Do you have somewhere where we could share that? I love that. (laughs) I'd be very glad for you to share it. I can send it to you. I love it. I'm writing down a note, actually. Um, it, the, the cadence of, of your poetry almost, it reminds me a little bit of Sir Walter Scott. Hmm. Um, it's so beautiful. It, I love it very much. Thank you. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love, um, you, I love the words that you use too, like evidence and things like that, um, in talking about science in an emotional way. It's been really such a joy to have, um, I I mean, I've written a lot of poems and I'm sure if I look back, some of them are on darkness, dark skies, dark places. I mean, I don't mean darkness like grief, though I certainly have some of those, but it's been really wonderful, magical to do what I do with this overlay or underpainting, however you want to think of it, of dark skies and astronomy and what's happening in the cosmos. It's just given me another thing to manipulate along with my language and my way of writing and my, whatever, my way of noticing. Well, I just um, took a note here. I would love to share that with our audience. And also a note to our um, visitors experience team to email you uh, a ticket to Lowell. So hopefully uh, at some time, you know, maybe just after your residence, you'll have time to come by and experience the the campus here, which is quite, quite dark. Uh, Probably not as dark as Phantom Ranch, but um, I, I'd love to know, I'm sure you've been able to see through the telescopes there uh, that Raider has. Not yet, but we're doing that soon. So yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And you know, right now, uh, Saturn is, it was in opposition a week and a half ago. And so it's still at its biggest and brightest. So you'd be able to see some of its, its rings and moons, even through the telescope and uh, Jupiter is next in September. So it's such a great time to uh, you know, the fall is, it's a wonderful time, you know, be- viewing those planets this year. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm very excited about the the three programs we have coming up because it's really going to yeah. mean you know, to be, um, to get more information. And, and also we're just at the point where it, it is finally like there's more visibility. There's Clearing more- up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've never been to one of Raider's uh, constellation tours. I know he says gets the laser out and does the uh, talks about some of the stars and constellations, which will be uh, a great experience. I'm quite envious. I'm not there to experience it. Today. Oh, welcome. <laughs> yes. I'll have to, uh, maybe if um, you know what dates you're doing some of the others in my mind I guess I assumed it was the last one tonight but you have two more after this no there are two more you could ford the floods and come right?
and we are officially out of time. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And I just want to say uh, for the listeners, please check our Discord. We will be putting a link to uh, Lauren Camp's website, or you can just go to laurencamp.com. She has her books there where you can purchase them directly from the source and read more of her incredible poetry. Um, and yeah, I hope we get to, um, maybe we'll get to follow you online and see some of the, the fruits of your efforts uh, during this residency with the Grand Canyon Conservancy. Thank you so much, Cody. It's been so much fun talking. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu donate. Thanks for listening.